So as we continue to worship now, I invite you to bow your head with me and listen as God's Spirit continues to speak. How is your soul this morning? How is your life responding to the storms and the winds that may be blowing around you in this world today? Father, I thank you for the words of Jesus that speak so clearly and directly into our life today. And I pray that as we open your word now and as we look at what you are saying to us, that we will not just be hearers of your word, but God, we will be willing to open up our life to you and let you change us. Open up our life to you and let you speak into our life. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, God, I pray that you will give us a willingness to change and do what you call us to do. Act upon what you call us to do. God, thank you again for the power of your word, the power of worship, the power of your gospel. And may it change our life now in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to take a seat and open your Bible to Matthew chapter 7. For the past two and a half months, we have worshipped God on Sundays uh, through following the sermon Jesus preached called the Sermon on the Mount. And today, uh, we'll wrap up that sermon with this very familiar metaphor that Jesus gives us to apply to our life. Many of you may be like us for the last nearly four decades our family has grown up and lived around the Grand Strand. And during that time, we have seen many hurricanes, many storms, and some of you are all too familiar with floods that uh, washed up into your house a few years ago. That's a very familiar environment for us. Um, in fact, I have, this, I have this VHS tape. Now, some of you go back maybe more generations than others, but I have a VHS tape that has uh, live pictures along the Garden City coast when Hurricane Hugo uh, swept across our land back in 1989 and devastated so many houses right here in our community. No one can avoid storms. No one can avoid floods that come from rain that comes down from heaven. They're a normal and they're expected part of our, our physical life, our normal life. And the same is true with our spiritual life. You will encounter storms in your life. There will be floods that will come to wash at the foundation of your life spiritually. Some of you may be there right now, this very minute. Some of you may be in that situation today. But all of us are going to experience spiritual storms as well as physical storms. Um, when my mother was nine years younger than I am right now, the, she called me and she said, the doctor said that I have adenocarcinoma. The winds and the rain began to flow into her life and into our life. Six months later, she transferred from life on this earth into eternity. 
In 2020, the first case of COVID-19 entered into the United States of America. You remember that? The winds and the floods began to blow across our land, and some have not recovered from those kinds of storms and winds and rains even to this day. We fall into temptation with an addiction that we thought we defeated years ago, and the winds and the rain began to blow against our life. You get a notice in the mail from the IRS calling you for an audit. <laughs> the winds and the storms begin to blow at the foundation of your life. You get my point. We all face winds and storms and floods in our life. They're unavoidable. And Jesus used this universal metaphor to draw the net, to bring to conclusion this message that he preached that we know as the Sermon on the Mount. It's truly astonishing that you can put your faith and trust not just for life in this world, but for your life in eternity on a foundation that will not be blown away by the winds, that will not wash away by the floods. And of course, that foundation is faith in Jesus Christ Himself. It's astonishing. Last Saturday, I drove to Monk's Corner to spend a, a few hours with a last visit to one of our church members who was transitioning from life on this earth into eternity, Chuck Gunnan, one of my favorite people on earth. For three years, he got up at 4.30 with Rich White every Tuesday morning and prepared breakfast for our middle school youth and high school youth to enjoy before going to school. Awesome guy. He's transitioning from life on this earth into eternity. And so I stood by his bedside in a condo in Monk's Corner. And his daughter whispered in his ear and said, We want to give you a few minutes with Ronnie Bird. And when, when, when she said his name, he had, been, he had been asleep. She said he almost never wakes up. And as soon as she said, Ronnie Bird, his eyes popped wide open. And for the next 30 to 45 minutes, we shared scripture together. We prayed together. We reminisced about great times we had had with those breakfasts and hunting experiences, other kinds of experiences that he enjoyed so much. We celebrated the astonishing faith that he has in Jesus Christ that carried him from life on this earth to eternity. Someone once said, you're not ready to live until you're ready to die. And as Jesus comes to this conclusion in his powerful message that we spent two and a half months looking at, that's the message that he gives to you and me. He takes us there as he wraps up this sermon. These two closing paragraphs point to the final application of the Sermon on the Mount. How will you spend eternity? And how you will spend eternity comes down to a choice that you make on this earth. And that's where we want to spend our time today. There's a way of the world that has no place at the top of the priority list for God. 
Our church staff studying this book, Morgan referenced it last Sunday by Mark Sayers, entitled The Reappearing, Reappearing Church. And he says in that book that the profession of secularism is, and I quote, the attempt to create a system for human flourishing where God is absent. Friends, that is the attitude of most of the world today. There are 8 billion people on this planet. And most people in this world have no personal relationship with God, nor do they, do they even want to have a personal relationship with God. And here's the problem with that. Here's the problem with secularism and humanism and so forth. Everyone has faith. You, you have faith. The 8 billion people on this earth have faith. The question is, what is the source of your faith? Your faith is either on a solid foundation, Jesus said, or your faith is on shifting sand that will be washed away with the storms of this world. So follow me today as we look at the difference in wise faith that's built on the solid foundation and foolish faith that's built on an unstable foundation in this world, and then ultimately we want to look at the authority for our faith. First of all, in verse 24 and 25 of Matthew chapter 7, wise faith is accountable. Wise faith is accountable. Verse 24 says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them. Circle that word if you have your Bible this morning. Not just hear the word, but let it take root in your life and change the direction of your life, transform your life. Not everyone, or everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. So wise faith is built on a solid foundation. Wise faith is built on two things. Number one, it's built on a confession. Most people aren't quick to confess anything. But the confession that wise faith is built on is the confession that says, I need help. I understand that God is righteous and holy and just. I understand that God created me. And I understand that within my flesh, there is no righteousness. There is nothing good. Even what I call good that I do according to God's word is as filthy rags. And so I need help. And when you make that confession and you say, I need help, then you turn to Jesus to give you the help that you need. And that is Wise. That is being built on a wise foundation. Because only Jesus can forgive you of your sin. Only His blood that He shed on the cross can pay the debt that you owe for the penalty of your sin. So have you made that confession of your faith in Jesus today? Have you turned to Him and said, I need help. I'm not righteous. I have no relationship with God because... My sin stands between me and God. And I confess that. That's the beginning of wise faith. 
But wise faith is not only built on confession, it's also built on repentance. And repentance says, not only do I understand that in my own flesh I'm separated from God and I'm a sinner. But only Jesus can turn my life from being headed in the direction of this world and turn that life around and head it in the direction of walking with God and knowing God and following Him. Repentance means I turn away from my willful, sinful flesh, my willful, sinful ways, and I turn to God and I give all of my heart to Him. Repentance says... I'm not just changing my mind. I'm changing the direction of my life. And I'm putting it back in the hands of God. So wise faith makes it possible for me to be reunited with God, to be reconciled with God, to be rejoined to Him, even though I have separated myself from God by my sin. So two steps. One, I admit that I need God. Two, I repent and turn away from following my way and turn to His way. That's the difference between hearing the Word and then doing the Word. So wise faith makes living on a solid foundation possible. Also, wise faith is accountable faith. In fact, it makes accountability um, Practical. So can we talk about accountability just for a moment? Um, being accountable is not normal. We don't want to admit. We don't want to confess. We don't want to be accountable. And there are three arenas in which accountability can happen in our life if we put some, some practical steps in, into place. First of all, we need to have people in our life who are close to our life, who know almost everything about our life, that we're willing to, to share with, to share our life with, and, and be accountable. Nobody can make you accountable to anybody. You have to be willing to open up your life to someone of your own, own gender and open up your life to them and share the details of your life with. It's like those guys that I told you about a few weeks ago that I've been meeting with for 30 years. We get together every year and we share life together. We're very different in every way. Uh, some of us like golf, some of them like tennis, some of us play, some of them play video games, some of them are in uh, pastors of very large churches, some of them are pastors of very small churches, some of them pastors of churches in between like this one. But we have one thing in common, and that is we have a common intimacy with our walk with God where we want to open up our life totally to God and we want to open up our life totally to each other and share life with each other. That's important. But there's also some other ways that we can be accountable. One is to have an external constraint. In other words, you know, I mentioned a few weeks ago that I carry this compass in my pocket. The reason I carry this compass in my pocket is because every time I feel it, it reminds me that I want to stay connected to the true north. I want to stay connected to Jesus Christ. I want Him to be the guide for my life. And when I feel temptation coming my way, I want to immediately divert to Jesus and honoring Him with my life. Uh, there, there are other kinds of uh, external uh, reminders you can have. It might be a necklace that you wear around your neck. It might be something like an internet filter. 
but we can have uh, accountability from external uh, kinds of constraints. We can also have uh, accountability from internal kinds of constraints. Um, you might be having trouble balancing your budget. So you choose another way to go home so you don't go by that high-priced coffee shop that you would want to stop by or that fast food restaurant. Uh, a number of years ago, we had a, uh, a guy by the name of Larry Burkhead who taught financial principles. And he taught us that, you know, if you have trouble balancing your budget, take your credit card and put it in a gallon of water and put it in the freezer. So at least you have to, for uh, an hour or so, think about how you're going to uh, buy things that you don't need to impress people that you don't like anyway, that you don't really need at all. And so, you know, you put that thing in a gallon of water and freeze it. So... You have to take some time to think about it, let it thaw out. So we have personal constraints, we have external con constraints, we have internal constraints that, that help keep us accountable before God. Wise faith means that I want to be accountable. I want to put my life before God and let it be a testimony that's worthy of representing God here on this earth. Wise faith is also an intimate faith. Where, where does intimacy begin? Are you aware that it begins with your relationship with God? Um, we saw last week in the scripture in Matthew chapter 7 verse 23. That there's only one thing that sends a person to hell. You know what that is? It's for... Jesus to look at you and say, I never knew you. I never knew you. That's what intimacy is all about. It's about Jesus knowing you and you knowing Jesus. And once you have that intimate relationship with Jesus, then it opens up the door for you to have intimacy with your spouse, intimacy with your friends, intimacy that, that, that truly shows the passion of your life. But it all starts on that solid foundation. It all starts with knowing Jesus, making all of life about Him. Wise faith has boundaries. You can't say yes to everything. So what's the priority of your life? What are you going to say yes to? In order to say yes to something, you have to say no probably to something else. And wise faith gives you that solid foundation to know how to draw the boundaries in your life to make God, through Jesus, the highest priority in your life. Verse 25, the rains fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Is that your life? Is your life built on the solid rock of Jesus? Wise faith is stable because it's founded on Jesus. It's founded on the rock foundation. And way back at the beginning of chapter 5 in the Beatitudes, the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, and those who are reviled on account of knowing and following Jesus have wise faith. Is that you? Is that what's flowing 
from your life because you have Jesus as the anchor of your life. Faith isn't built on an easy street kind of foundation. And that's why when the storms blow, when the floods came and the winds beat upon your house, they crash on your life. When you're anchored in Jesus, your life will not crumble and crack and fall because you're anchored in the solid foundation of Jesus. Again, wise faith is accountable. Are you making yourself accountable to other people? Are you constantly reminding yourself, maybe having scriptures on your mirror or on your wall about walking with Jesus, about keeping Him the main thing in your life? Jesus doesn't stop there. He paints a sad picture as He closes His sermon in verse 26 and 27 of Matthew chapter 7, foolish faith is unstable. It's unstable. Verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came. The winds blew and beat against that house. Saddest words in the Bible. And it fell, and great was its fall. Now, I want you to get the picture of what Jesus is painting here. There's a contrast. There is a choice that you can make to build your house on the solid foundation of Jesus. But most people in the world, if we saw last week, build their house on an unstable foundation. There's a contrast here. The unstable foundation is built on shifting sand. In other words, phony, superficial faith is unstable. When the winds come and the storms blow, this faith cracks and crumbles. So... What is foolish faith built on? Well, foolish faith is, is built on the philosophy of this world. The philosophy that says, I don't need God. In fact, I don't need anybody. Uh, worldly logic says, whatever is true for me is true. Now, I've shared this story hundreds of times but it's true in every way. When I was eight or nine years old, on New Year's Day, New Year's Eve, it started to snow. Now, I grew up in South Alabama. I had never seen snow before. And so this was like party time for us. Um, it snowed all night long and into the next morning. And as soon as my brothers and I could get up and get two pair of dungarees on and the thickest jacket that we had, which wasn't very thick. We took off behind our house to my grandfather's. My grandfather raised cattle, and he had two ponds behind the house. And about a mile and a half from the house, and we got down to the pond, and I had seen on Wild World of Sports, I had seen ice skating before. And this pond was totally covered in ice 
and totally covered in snow. And so I went over to the edge and I stuck my foot right on the edge and man, it was ice. And I said, oh, this is great. And so I backed up about 20 yards and I ran as hard as I could. And I was going to skate across the pond and I got about three feet from the bank and guess what happened? I crashed. I went underwater, all the way underwater. I had to walk all the way back home, soaking wet in 25 degree weather with snow falling, freezing, freezing cold. So what was the problem? The problem was I put my faith in an unstable source. And there's so many people, billions of people on planet Earth today, and I hope not you, I pray not you, who are staking their eternity as well as their life today on thin ice, on unstable foundations that will not hold them up. I had faith in the ice, but my faith was in the unstable ice. It totally let me down. In the same way, Jesus said it's foolish to build your house on an unstable foundation. Your faith can be built on the solid rock of Jesus. It's a choice that you can make. So why do most people choose to build their faith on an unstable foundation rather than on the solid rock of Jesus? Remember I said earlier, Mark Sayers, said secularism is an attempt to create a system for human flourishing where God is absent. I don't need God. I don't need anybody. Most people are self-sufficient. We don't want anybody putting constrictions and restrictions on our life. We don't want God or anybody else telling them what to do. How often do you hear somebody say, nobody's going to tell me what I can do with my body. Nobody has a right to judge me. Nobody has a right to tell me what I have to do with my life. Nobody has to tell me what I have to believe. This is the philosophy of the way of the world. And it's like skating on thin ice. If you put your hope and your trust in your own logic, your own self, you will be let down, both in this earth on this earth and in the world to come. So the proponents of humanism and secularism are, are very smart people. They're not dummies. They're like the, the scribes that Jesus talked about in the last verse, or Matthew talked about in the last verse of chapter 7. These were very smart people. They wrote out word for word the law of God. The Pharisees memorized Scripture, every Scripture verse in the Bible, they memorized the law and the prophets. The Sadducees carried out the law and judged people according to the law. They were very, very smart people. But do you see the flaw in a logic that, said, that says, you know, everybody has good inside of them and over time, over time, that good is going to come out and things are going to continue to get better and better and better. Is that what you see in the world you live in? I mean, if you are, if you do, you're living in a different world than me because I don't see that in our world today. 
See, the problem with building your house on a shifting sand, unstable kind of foundation, raises its head when the storms of life begin to hit you. You get that call from the doctor that says, we've detected cancer, you need to come talk to us. When the winds of life blow against a relationship and someone walks out of your life and says, I don't want to live with you anymore. When the winds and the storms and the floods of life blow against your house, what are you left with? If you're left with what I think is true is true, rather than the solid foundation of Jesus, your life is going to crack and it's going to crumble. And Jesus said, Jesus said, great is going to be the fall. See, two houses may look exactly alike. The furnishings may look very similar, may be exactly alike. But when the winds blow and the floods come and the storm beats against that house, which house do you want to be living in? Do you want to be living in the house that has a solid foundation or do you want to be living in the house that has an unstable foundation? Today, Jesus is offering you a foundation that is not built on sinking sand, that is not unstable. But he says, the fool's life is built on the foundation that will crumble when the winds and when the storms blow. See, my friend Chuck, that went to be with Jesus this past Thursday is not the only person that's going to come to a transition in life. The last time I checked, the mortality rate in our world is 100%. <laughs> One day, this life is going to come to an end, and you're going to stand before God. And Jesus said, if your life is built on an unstable foundation, if you're built on the way and the logic and the truth, that you think is truth, whatever you think is true is true, if you're built on that foundation, great is going to be your fall. Don't let that be you. You may be here today and you may be headed for destruction, not out of stubbornness, but out of just thoughtlessness. Maybe you just never have even thought about God. Most of the people in our world never even think about God in our culture today, in our generation today. And so at least for this moment, I want to challenge you to come to grips with where your life is headed and the consequences of where your life is headed. Do you intimately know Jesus? Do you have a personal relationship with Him where He walks with you and talks with you and you share life with Him as a primary Priority in your life. Because there is a solid foundation that you can build your life on. And that wise, solid foundation is Jesus. Jesus loves you. Jesus left heaven and came to the world that he created. And he lived a perfect life as a human being even though he was God, because he loves you so much. Jesus went to the cross and 
was tortured. His blood flowed from his body to pay the price for the penalty of your sin so he could be the sacrifice for the penalty of your sin. He loves you that much. Jesus didn't stay in the grave. On the third day, he arose from the grave. In two weeks, we celebrate Easter. That's the celebration that Jesus arose from the grave. Why did he do that? He did it to give you victory over death and over the grave. Because he loves you that much. And he's saying to you and me today, your, your life can be built on this solid foundation. But people who choose to reject that solid foundation in Jesus, the Bible says, Jesus said, will be crushed and great will be your fall. When the winds blow, when the storms come, when eternal judgment day comes, Great will be the fall. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Last week we looked at it. Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. It breaks my heart. To believe that there would be someone here today who would leave hearing the message of Jesus. Saying, please come to the solid foundation and build your life on the solid foundation. Please admit that you're a sinner and confess your sin. And let Jesus forgive you of your sin and repent and turn away from your sin. And turn to saying, I want the rest of my life to be counted for Jesus. You have that choice today. I pray that's the choice that you'll make. Don't fall for building your faith on an unstable foundation. Don't skate on thin ice. Finally this morning, Matthew wraps it up. Jesus has finished his message. And look at how Matthew draws this message to a universal application for you and me. Faith built on Jesus is astonishing. <laughs> In verse 28, when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their, not as the scri their scribes. See, there's only one kind of faith that's astonishing. What does astonishing mean? Well, it means, wow! I mean, there's nothing like this. This is so mind-blowing. It's just outstanding. And that's the way Jesus taught. Why could he teach that way? Because... Jesus created you. He created this world. He created Scripture. He created God's Word. He knows it. And He wants to apply it to my life and to your life. So let me ask you today, is the foundation of your faith Jesus? Have you come to that place in your life where you are astonished that God would offer you a gift that would set you free from your sin and reconcile you, bring you back together with God to live on this earth walking with God and to live in eternity walking with God forever and ever and ever and ever. That's astonishing. 
The people around Jesus in his day saw that. They were astonished at his teaching. Because that just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that someone would love you enough and care enough about you, even though you've turned your back on him, to lay down his life and sacrifice his life for you. That's astonishing. It's incredible. Just like Jesus completely amazed the crowds everywhere he taught, you can be amazed and astonished at what Jesus wants to pour into your life today as well. Because he is the way. Are you on the road to following Jesus? That's what way means. The word, the word, word, word hados is, is a word for way. It means it's a, it's a road. Same word for road. Are you on the road with Jesus? He's the truth. It's not just whatever I say is true is true. Jesus is the truth. So are you learning His truth? Are you following His truth? Are you applying His truth to your life as you live every day? He's the way, He's the truth, He's the life, and here's the kicker. You can't come to God in any other way other than through Jesus. You can't work your way to God. You can't be good enough to be accepted by God. The only way you can come to God is by saying, yes, I accept the gift that God offers me, free gift, paid for by the sacrificial blood of Jesus to walk with Him and live with Him forever. I want to give my life totally and completely to Him. So the entire Sermon on the Mount, all chapter 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew, gives us two choices. One choice is to walk with Jesus. That's the wise way. That's the solid foundation. The other way is to go the way of the world, to build your life on an unstable foundation, on a foundation that's built on sand. Nobody can make that choice for you. You have to make that choice for yourself. And that's why Jesus was so clear and so simple in sharing the message that he shared with us. The scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees were smart people. They knew the law. But unfortunately, their faith was not astonishing faith. Their faith was in themselves, in their knowledge in their deeds, in their works. That never gets somebody in right standing with God. So you can choose to be among the crowd today that goes with the flow. That's the easy way. That's the wide way. That's the fun way. Or you can choose to build your life on the solid foundation of Jesus. You can't have both. You have to make a choice. You have to choose the solid foundation of Jesus or the foundation that's unstable in this world. The foolish choice appears to be wide and easy and filled with fun, but it's thin ice. So again, I challenge you today not to skate with your life on thin ice. So by way of application, authoritative faith, uh, the authoritative foundation for faith is only found in Jesus. It's only found in Jesus. Now let me close with the rest of the story about my friend Chuck Gunning. 
uh, when Rich and Chuck were cooking breakfast for the youth. About halfway through after that first year, um, Chris, you remember this, um, Chuck brought a friend that started hanging out with him around the breakfast, and his friend's name was PJ. He was a little bit older than Chuck. The youth loved to be around PJ. He was a great guy. But PJ didn't know Jesus. He had never walked with God. He didn't know anything about God. And the beautiful thing was Chuck cared enough about his friend PJ, who had just moved up here from Florida, that he brought him to hang around with, uh, with, with them cooking breakfast, and then he would stay for the Bible study that we would do with the youth. And over a year or so, PJ heard the gospel over and over and over, clearly presented. And one day, PJ bowed his knee and prayed and confessed Jesus and gave his life to Jesus and followed Jesus right here in this church in baptism. In about the third year of PJ hanging around, the doctor called him one day and said he had pancreatic cancer. And so ultimately PJ died. We did the memorial service right over at Chuck Gunnan's house in Carolina Forest for PJ. This past Thursday, when Chuck passed from life on this earth to eternity, I can just picture... Chuck and PJ seeing each other for the first time, not in a house here in Carolina Forest, but in his heavenly home to spend eternity forever and ever and ever. Why did that happen? Because Chuck cared enough about his friend to bring him to a simple thing like a, like a breakfast and following a simple thing like coming to a worship service like this and hearing the gospel over and over and God capturing his heart and him trusting Jesus. There are people in your life that you could be, you know, the Chuck influence, like Chuck influenced PJ's life. You could bring them into an environment where they can hear the gospel. You could share the gospel with them. Here's what Jesus said in the very first part of the Sermon on the Mount. He said, let your light so shine before men that they would see your good works and glorify the Father who is in heaven. That's what life on this earth is all about. It's about knowing Jesus and introducing Him to people in our life. When our life is built on the solid rock of Jesus, we can sing, On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. When I was growing up in a little missionary church, about a quarter of the size of this church, we were taught to sing a little song. It said, the song said, The wise man built his house upon the rock, and the rains came tumbling down. I won't sing it for you. But the rains came down, the floods came up, and the house on the rock stood firm. But the foolish man built his house on the sand, and the rains came tumbling down. Rains came down, floods came up, and the house on the sand put splash. God, I pray today that not one person would leave here building our life on an unstable foundation that in the end, and even here on this earth, will be a great fall. We'll go splash. God, how I pray today, if your Holy Spirit is convicting someone's heart here today to, 
put their trust in Jesus. Maybe they would say something like, I don't understand all there is to know about this, but I know this. Today, I want to I want to confess my sin to Jesus and let the blood that He shed on the cross pay the price for the penalty of my sin. And I want to give all that I know about myself to all that I know about Jesus. And I want to follow Him the rest of my life. And then God, I pray for those of us who know You. I pray that we will become more passionate about sharing Jesus with those in our life and around our life and those who watch our life looking for something that brings hope and brings a solid foundation. That because of our walk with Jesus, they'll want it. They'll want Jesus. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit will do your work in our life now as we continue to pray and worship you.